So, what is the purpose of life? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us clarity today, not just for our own lives, but to be able to help other people as well, to be the light of the world for your glory. It's my prayer through Christ. Amen. Lots of ink has been drained to address the question. Many hours have been spent speculating on it. What is life's ultimate purpose? I read an article in Psychology Today recently that asked that question. And it began with this big paragraph of an apology. I don't know what this, this, this writer in Psychology Today said. This is my speculation. And then the writer went on to say, if science is true and, you know, we are the only life forms in the universe as a result of evolution, then we have been the victors of the greatest lottery in all of history. And I don't know what that means about our purpose in life, but we sure are lucky, you know. I guess, you know, I guess the person said, I guess, I guess we evolve to continue to evolve. Is that satisfactory? The Dalai Lama says that the purpose of life is to be happy, which I think that if you were to ask most people in the United States today, in the United States today, what is the ultimate purpose of life? What do you want most out of life? They would say to be happy. Or if, you know, some would say to have a really good baseball team in my hometown, but most people would be to be happy. Um, Many say the ultimate purpose in life is to love, although they never define exactly what it means to love. It essentially, to love essentially becomes another version of happiness pursuit. Others say the ultimate purpose of life is creating yourself or discovering your world or becoming the best version of yourself. Some say it's self-actualization, making a difference with your life, leaving a legacy. Essentially, if you listen closely to non-Christian answers to what's the purpose of life, it all comes down to self. Me, me, me. I, I, I. You know, essentially it becomes making me an idol, my life an idol. If any of these can be taken seriously, I would suggest that... Conan the Barbarian deserves to be taken seriously as well. He was once asked, Conan, what is good in life? And he responded, I think was not Conan the Barbarian Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I kind of picture Arnold dressed up as Conan here. He says, the purpose of life is to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentations of the women. Um, I think there was a, perp- a church maybe that was started with that vision, that slogan sometimes. I don't know. But anyway, what is the purpose of life? I mean, honestly, Conan's, the barbarian's purpose is as valid as many of that we've heard so far. Well, in a world flooded with confusion, the Bible gives us good news. The creator of the universe, God himself, has given us a clear answer for what the ultimate purpose of life is. Stated many ways throughout the Bible— it is stated as succinctly as possible in 1 Peter 1.15. But as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy 
because I am holy. What is the purpose of life? God makes it clear. This is your calling. Calling is another word for purpose. What is your calling? You are to be holy. Why are we to be holy? Because God is holy. I bring this up because we're constantly in need of being reminded that holiness is our ultimate purpose. The reason you get up in the morning is because of the holiness of God to be holy because he is holy. The reason you go to work is to be holy because he is holy. The reason we recreate or read or laugh or love or worship is all driven by one purpose, to be holy because he is holy. Be holy in all you do. You are called to be holy. You see, we're not always destined to be happy, are we? A lot of people go through life and they don't experience a lot of happiness. We're not always guaranteed to be healthy. Um, my friend Patrick McGinnis passed away this week. And one of the things Patrick would say is, God has given me a lot of blessings in life, but good health is not one of them. We aren't even promised to be with others. There are some people who live long periods of time in isolation, in prison camps, for instance. But the purpose that can drive us, whatever our situation, whether in joy or isolation, whether in health or sickness, the one calling is holiness. God is holy, therefore be holy because he is holy. Now, many things distract us throughout the day from his holiness, from that purpose. Responsibility, work, deadlines, entertainment, desires, interests. But only one thing matters, that in all things, we recognize the holiness of God and we are living for the holiness of God. We are driven by his holiness in all that we do. Listen again to what the Bible says. But as the one who called you is holy. It's not just a calling. It is the calling from God. He is the one who calls you. This is his purpose given to you. Why? Because he is holy, he says. So you be holy in all your conduct. So think of it this way. When you get out of the bed in the morning, what gives you meaning? When you set your goals for the day, what is your ultimate goal? What is your standard for a good day at the end of the day? The Bible says happiness is not the standard for a good day. Health is not the measure of a good life. Even leaving a legacy that other people admire is not the purpose of life. What measures a good life is, have we lived for the holiness of God? Have we pursued his holiness in all that we do? John Calvin's note of Peter's words here, that, that Peter reasons from the end for which we are called 
God sets us apart as a peculiar people for himself, then it follows we ought to be free from all pollutions. In other words, holiness is your calling. Now you're saying, Brett, what is, what does it mean to be holy? What's the, uh, holiness kind of comes in two definitions. The literal definition is to be set apart. The, 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 the meaning definition of that, the, 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 the figurative of that, the moral, I should say, uh, definition of that is, is purity. So when we say to be set apart, we might look at the different items that were in the temple. You know, the, you, the bowls and the water and the altars were all considered holy. They were not holy because they were morally pure. They were holy because they were set apart for God, for his usage. You and I are holy because from the time that we are born, we are set apart for his usage. When we are baptized into Christ and we were raised to walk in newness of life in Christ, we are called to walk in his holiness. We are set apart for him. In one way, to be holy is to wake up every day and to say, God, I dedicate this day to you. These hands are your hands. These eyes are your eyes. My thoughts are your thoughts. My words, your words. My money, your money. My ambitions, your ambitions. My job, your job. My conversations, your conversations. My politics, your politics. I surrender all. And because God is sovereign over all, there is not a dimension in life that is not underneath his holiness. Be holy in all you do. The Bible tells us. But second to be holy means that we say, God, you are perfect and pure. Make me perfect and pure today in all I do. So not only are our thoughts and words and gifts and jobs and actions and entertainment, not only are those set apart for God as, God, may my life be a, a, an offering of worship to you. My, my life set apart for you. But in the process, then we say, and Lord, may all of those things that I do be pure in your sight, be sanctified and honoring to your character. That's what Peter means when he says to this, you were called be holy because God is holy. Your purpose in life is to be set apart for God's service to set apart, be set apart for God's perfection. Two quick applications. First, this is a reminder that there is a seamlessness to the life of a follower of Christ. Secular thinking imagines life something like a newspaper where we have different sections. There is the business section, there's the main section, there's the entertainment section, there's the life section, there's the sports section. And then like maybe once a week, there's a page for the religion section. You know, and, and so there are a lot of, that's how many people look at life and they have segmented life. That's how many people who go to church see life. Oh, I have my job part. I have my relationship. I have my family part. I have my money part. Oh, and then there's that religious part of me. Then there's that church. There's the church stuff that I do. Holiness means it all is surrendered to God. If there's one thing that, that, that Christians need to understand in every generation, it is that there is no dimension of 
the world that is not underneath God's absolute sovereignty. And there's not a second of our life, a thought in our mind that is not to be set apart for his holiness. So kids, when you go to school, your purpose of going to school is the holiness of God. You are called to be holy in all you do at school. If your purpose to go to school is just to get an education so you can be smarter, get good grades, make more money, then that's going to feel empty and purposeless. What, you're gonna, what that means is you have put God over here in this box in this corner and you've said, now, school is the unsanctified part of my life. And God would say, be holy in all you do. All that you do has purpose. All that you do is set apart for me. I am God. And therefore be holy in all you do. Walk with me, listen to me, surrender to me. To develop the mind that God has given us, we must say moment by moment, Lord, may we be holy in our thinking. That means no matter what you do, your work is dignified and honorable if it's an expression of the holiness of God. You work because God is holy. God's given you the ability to work and the ability to support yourself and to be generous with others. We do good work. We do excellent work because God is holy and we want to be holy in all that we do. We want to honor God in all that we do. If the purpose of your work is happiness and making money and having an easier life, having a better future, retiring someday, how empty and shallow is that? And if you say, man, that doesn't feel very purposeful, it's because it's not. Holiness. You are made to be holy, and your work is purposeful to the degree that you say, God has called me to be holy in all I do. I will be holy because he is holy. Lord, this work is dedicated to you. May I do it in a way that honors you. So if your purpose in life is to be holy, there's a seamlessness to life. No secular sacred distinction, no church activities versus non-church activities, no my time versus God's time. It's all God's time, and it all matters. It's all to be holy. The second thing that the holiness of God teaches us is that we need to pray for holiness. I'm not sure that there's a greater need in our generation than for God to raise up a people who are holy to him. I've been studying the great revivals throughout history, and one of the things that they all had in common is this, they begin with a great repentance of God's people. They all begin with some mass confession. Sometimes it's individual people in different places at the same time. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's large groups of people coming together and the Holy Spirit moves in some way and people confess. And you know what they confess? They fall to their faces and they confess the holiness of God. They confess they have not sanctified this, their life and this world to him. They've not had a heart for lost people because they've not seen people through his holy eyes, from his holy loving perspective. Their hearts have been hardened to God into his holiness. 
they have minimized the damage of sin and the separation that sin causes, the death that sin brings. And so they, there is this massive movement of confession where the people of God come under his judgment and they hear his call to holiness. J.C. Riley wrote a book on great biographies, biographical sketches of some of the great ministers of Great Britain. During the first great awakening of the 18th century, people like George Whitfield and John Wesley and Charles Wesley, at the beginning, he writes this in his book. These great awakening leaders, he says, they taught constantly the inseparable connection between true faith and personal holiness. A true Christian, they maintained, must always be known by his fruits, and those fruits must be mainly manifest and unmistakable in all relations of life. No fruits, no grace was the unvarying tenor of their preaching. Dig deeper, and you will find people who spent years often praying the confession of their own sins, praying as in our generation, we look and say how effective, how ineffective the church is, how little influence, how, how sinful people in the church are. And people were praying, oh, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to move. You must, you must make us holy. Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you afresh. They confessed their lack of heart for how unholiness had destroyed their world around them. Dig deeper still. And you'll read God answering those prayers by moving these masses of people to repentance and confession. And the result was more than just moral purity, but a passion to reach a lost generation of people who are yet to live under the holiness of God. As one observer noted, revival means judgment day. Spiritual renewals always begin with the judgment of God's people. As Peter writes elsewhere, it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. So what's your purpose in life? It's not happiness. It's not comfort. It's not health. Not even love. Not even legacy. Your ultimate purpose in life, if any of those things matter, they matter under the canopy of the holiness of God. Your purpose is to be a disciple who makes disciples because Jesus is your good shepherd who says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Your purpose is to follow Jesus, to be holy in all you do, to obey. And then when you obey, you go and make disciples. Not because some preacher tells you to, not because it's a good thing for Christians to do, but because in the depths of your heart, you're overwhelmed by the holiness of God. He is holy and he deserves our total dedication and worship. And everybody is born for that purpose. Nobody is at peace until they are at peace under the holiness of God. As the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all the, your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Or as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us. Since we've reached the conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live 
should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. That's what it means when God says, I've created you and called you to be holy, dying to self, living for Christ. Here's the question. If you take holiness seriously today, God's holiness, what difference will it make? What will you do? How will you live differently today if you hear God's holiness, God's call to holiness? Heavenly Father, make us your people. I thank you that you're so patient and loving, good, that you've given our lives purpose, that you've given us breath. We thank you that you're gracious for those times that we have frittered away, for the times that we have not walked in harmony with you, and yet you're so patient, always calling, always drawing us closer. By your grace, Lord, we recommit ourselves to your holiness because you are worthy. And we'd ask that you would help us today to conduct ourselves under your holiness for your glory, to hear your voice and follow. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Again, if you found this helpful, I would encourage you to share it with somebody else and, um, and see what God uses that, uses uh, how God might be able to use that to help you reach them.